Well, we come tonight to the final chapter, the book of Jonah, in the study that we've been pursuing over these past weeks. So welcome once again, uh, joining me on this uh, streamed uh, midweek service Bible study, uh, just a chance for us to look into the Word of God and, and really look to see what is it that God is saying to us uh, through the prophet Jonah. So join me as I just pray and just commit this time uh, and ourselves to the Lord, that he would continue his work uh, in our lives. Lord, we do believe that your word is like hammer and fire, just as the prophet Jeremiah uh, tells us and, and reminds us, that Lord, you use your word to change the lives of men and women, uh, boys and girls, uh, the great and wonderful reality of the gospel that is the power, your power, unto the salvation of those who believe. So even as we, we turn to our study this evening, do pray that this word would be uh, challenging to us. And Lord, once again, as we turn, we do pray that you would search our hearts, that by your Spirit you would expose to us, Lord, any blind spots that we may have. And, and Lord, that we would all continue to grow uh, in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus, and Lord, just even those familiar words being conformed to the moral likeness of Jesus. And Lord, confessing, confessing our sin, confessing how far we fall short of your glory, of your standard of holiness. But Lord, also as we consider that, remembering the wonderful provision of the saving grace, the atoning work of Jesus on our behalf. And so committing this time to you now, as we ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. So do take up your Bible and uh, going to read together just uh, the fourth chapter of, of Jonah. And uh, do hope that this book has uh, really stirred some challenges within uh, your heart. So we pick it up then in, in chapter 4 and verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat, he sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his, his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, 
nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night? And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? So just so far, and uh, that does conclude the just the final chapter um, of this book of, um, of, of Jonah. And we're going to consider this uh, passage uh, together and and I did uh, just give some thought to the passage and wondered how I could introduce it. And my thoughts did go to something that's very present and prevalent, something that we perhaps have become used to, very sadly we've become used to over these past weeks and months, is the, the war taking place, uh, Russia uh, invading uh, Ukraine. And, and what, we, what do we see on the news? We see repeatedly, repeatedly cities that are being destroyed, uh, people that are running to other countries that are now refugees, literally by the million. And very sadly, we've also heard of people, innocent civilian people that have been killed uh, as a result of this uh, war that Russia has, uh, uh, has now uh, done in invading uh, U- Ukraine. And, and so the, the destruction of cities in that context, uh, the killing of, of, of people, the death of literally hundreds of people uh, taking place uh, in the world right now in that situation, I understand can stir in our hearts and perhaps it should stir in our hearts legitimate emotion of anger. Anger comes in the midst of confusion. Why is this happening? Why is Russia so determined to destroy another country? And, and, and it also comes, I believe, in the sense of compassion for many of these victims as we watch, as it were, visible injustice, people being displaced from their homes, people being deprived of a, 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 a safe life, being able to live out in the context of their particular city. And so my point is, I can understand that someone could be and, and, and does get angry over the sudden destruction of a city and its people, especially when we see uh, the injury and, and the death of, of people, men and women and children. However, what I do want to contrast this with is, I don't understand why anyone, including Jonah, Now, let's not forget that Jonah had recently repented. So in the writing of this book, as the Spirit of God leads him, he tells of the particular point that he reaches in repenting and understanding that he had been disobedient to God. He repents and and in a sense comes to his senses. The penny drops that he, he needs to be obedient with God. He needs to align with the will of God. He goes to Nineveh. And yet at this particular time, we find that he got so angry with God because God was no longer going to destroy the city of Nineveh. Now that puzzles me. And as you think about that tonight, isn't that puzzling? Isn't that puzzling? Since God had relented and God was no longer going to destroy the city of Nineveh, what does that mean? It means that there won't be shrieking babies or devastated mothers and fathers and frail old men and women suffocating and dying under the rubble of a city that had been overturned 
or in our understanding been destroyed. God relented. But we see in this final chapter of Jonah that Jonah is now angry. Jonah is spitting mad. And so my very first point this evening, I want us to think about this this matter of people getting angry with God. Jonah was angry with God. And I think it would be true to say that, that we too, perhaps you tonight, could be for some reason or another angry with God. Uh, down through history, there have been many people who, who have expressed their, their, their anger uh, towards God. Well, as we turn to this passage, we see as someone has, has described Jonah as leaving the stage of history, shaking his fist at God. Not an uncommon reality. There are many people, and perhaps all of us at some point in time, uh, who have got, who who will get angry with God. Uh, People thinking and, and believing, and this is really the point, thinking and believing that God should have done things differently. So they get angry. They get angry with God because they don't agree they, they, they don't understand, they don't see why God has done things in a certain way. So we have the statement very clearly made in the beginning of the chapter. Uh, Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He was not happy. What was he not happy about? He was not happy about the great kindness from the hand of God toward the Ninevites. He was not happy with the compassion that was being displayed toward these people in this city of Nineveh. He was not happy with that which God had shown in kindness to the people of Nineveh. And it seems to me the more he thought about it, it wasn't just a flash in the pan kind of reaction, the more he thought about it, the more he brooded over it, the more he sulked. It, it seems to me that eventually he sank into a, a, a deep state, a state of deep resentment to the Lord. Now again, the comparison, and, and, and perhaps something that should startle us to some degree as we make this comparison, is we know from the New Testament that the angels in heaven rejoice over a single sinner coming to repentance. Isn't that great? And, and, and don't we, don't we rejoice when we hear of somebody that's come to repentance, that's come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? And yet, yeah, we see Jonah is seething with anger at this gracious act of God for saving a city, and we know that the people of Nineveh repented. His very next breath reveals what is that the root of, What is at the root of his anger? Have a look at the second verse. There and then he prays to the Lord. O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents in sending calamity. Now what? What do we make of that prayer? Jonah, it seems to me, was very comfortable with the reality. He knew knew of it about God. He was comfortable with God's grace and compassion as long as it was he and his people that were the beneficiaries. 
He's happy to make declarations about the need for grace. He even makes the declaration in that prayer of repentance. Salvation belongs to the Lord in chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. As long as it is for him. God saving him. God rescuing him out of the sea. God eventually ordering that big fish to spit him out onto dry land, uh, uh, ground. You see, it should make us think. It's a wonderful thing for him, Jonah, to relish the fact that he and the rest of Israel are part of God's particular people, that God had set his hand upon them as a nation. He did not, Jonah did not, however, like the thought, and now he is showing he does not like the evidence that he and Israel were not God's exclusive people, that they were not God's only people. And so Jonah goes on to pray, but but note that this is not a prayer of faith that makes requests and and longs and, and has the desire to align with God's will and God's direction. There's definitely a clear sense over here that his heart is not bowed before God in humble submission. Instead, Jonah is using the opportunity of prayer as a platform to lecture God. He's trying to tell God what he's unhappy about and what, in fact, he thinks God ought to have done or should have done. And again, we need to bring that into our own context and and, and challenge our own thinking and responses in the world around us. You see, isn't that what we do? When, when, when we are convinced that God should have done things differently. Sadly, it gets worse. The anger yeah, in Jonah sinks to what I would call a pity party. And, and Jonah acts, is acting, does act like a spoiled brat and, and, and displays tantrum behavior. Third verse, have a look at the third verse. Now, O Lord... Take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Do, do, do you see the attitude over here? It, 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 it's, it's, it's the adult version of a child's tantrum. The child's tantrum, I'm not playing with you anymore. I'm taking my toys and I want to go home. It is as if Jonah is not only, has not only lapsed into a state of irrational thinking, but very dangerous blindness. Old Testament uh, author Uh, Gordon J. Keddy, and I quote him, he warns that such tantrums as Jonah's are a breath of hell in the believer's life. Shouldn't be there. Well, God's response is gently and, and, but very firmly to the point in the fourth verse, the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? And so that's going to be my next point. I want us to consider, consider the right to be angry. Now again, there are no doubt times when we, where people have the right to, to be angry about certain things, angry with people around us, angry with the way people behave, um, angry with the way in which nations are unfolding in terms of morality and, and behavior and injustice. We ought to get angry with the gender-based violence. Here in South Africa, just recently, this uh, incident in Krugersdorp, where there was this, this terrible, 
terrible situation where a whole bunch of men raped a whole group of women and uh, selfish and unthinking and savage-like uh, behaving. In so- that ought to stir anger within us that, that any man or even group of men would consider to do such a despicable thing. We ought also to get angry at the fact that there is this unthinking and even uh, an attitude promoting the killing of unborn babies. We, we should not let that just pass us by. There should be a stirring within us and, and anger at, at the fact that people would even consider doing such a thing. The question, of course, as we turn to the passage, is does Jonah have the right to be angry with God? God doing something compassionate, God doing something kind toward people. Yes, they don't deserve it, but God is reaching out to them. Well, having heard God's question, Jonah decides, and we notice as we unfold the narrative, he decides to become a spectator as we look at verse 5 of the, of the situation, of the unfolding events in the city of Nineveh. And so we read, Jonah went out and he sat down in a place east of the city and there he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade and he waited to see what would happen to the city. Now he's in a bad way, sitting under the shelter. His emotions are in turmoil uh, mentally and, and spiritually. He's not doing very well. And in spite of his efforts to build a shelter, he still feels and he felt the sun burning down on him. Let's not forget, just to remind you of the context, that this is the man, Jonah is the man that lectured God. We see the action of God again in kindness. We see that God shows this bitter and angry complainer even more kindness. We read in the sixth verse. Then the Lord God provided a vine and he made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head uh, to ease his discomfort. Wow. Wow. God kindly relieves his discomfort. And of course, it's not surprising in this instance to see that Jonah was very happy about the vine. Again, let's, let's think about think about what's been happening and what, what is happening. Uh, Jonah is persistently angry about the kindness that God showed to the Ninevites. But, but it doesn't seem as if it takes much to make him happy about the kindness shown to him. Especially, especially regard, regarding his personal circumstances. But God is teaching him a lesson. The lesson is not yet complete and we continue to read in verse 7. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. And then to make matters worse, not just a removal of what was an unexpected gift of shade, God also adds a scorching wind in verse 8. God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Well, that completes the, the lesson. The full circle back to the question that God had asked Jonah, uh, verse 9, but God said to Jonah, Do you have a right? Do you have a right to be angry? Now he gets specific about the vine, 
So we need to think about the event of the vine. You see, Jonah found it very easy to immediately respond with his answer. I do. I do. I'm angry enough to die. He's really annoyed that this vine has, has now been removed. And then, of course, there is the added scorching wind, which is adding to his discomfort. He's ready to die, even though the thing removed, the vine was removed, was something he didn't have before it was given to him as a free, unsolicited, unsolicited unmerited gift. I want to say that again. He's ready to die, even though the thing that God removed was something he didn't have before it was given to him, didn't even ask for it. It's given to him freely, unsolicited, undeserved. Wow, what's going on here? Jonah is so blinded by his own sense of self-interest and self-preservation and well-being, his own well-being, that the penny doesn't drop it out. God, God has, to, has to spell it out in, in plain language in verse 10. And he says so in verse 10. Jonah, you've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. No work done. It sprung up overnight and it died overnight. Verse 11. Now he links the lesson of the vine to the people in the city of Nineveh. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. What is it? What is it that God is saying to Jonah? And what is it that God is saying to us and challenging us with in this particular context? You see, Jonah and, and anybody else engrossed in agendas of self-interest and self-preservation have a problem. It is a problem of a distorted sense of values. We need to be thinking about our values. What is it that really is important? What is it that really counts? What is it that ought to have uppermost uh, importance in our minds? What is it that ought to be uh, the highest of priorities? You see, Jonah, again going back to him, is more concerned about something that makes him more comfortable, even though it's transient. It's just for a short time. He has no concern for the people with eternal souls. People who were dangling over the edge of eternal fire and separation from God. You get the picture? Concerned about a vine that he didn't ask for, didn't deserve, and yet he's unconcerned about people who have or are in a position of judgment and in danger with the wrath of God. Try to think of an analogy. It's like a man who's concerned about his hammock under a tree. But he doesn't, doesn't notice or doesn't care that his neighbor's house is on fire, that the house is burning down and there are people locked indoors. Self-interest, self-preservation, oblivion of the needs of others. 
there's a challenger to Jonah, but to us. And the challenge is, do you really see how important the salvation of people is? How crucial it is that people are rescued, that people are able to flee from the coming wrath of God. Surely we have no right to be angry or resentful about what God is doing in the saving of souls of people, even elsewhere. Surely it must lead us to even question the proportion of our effort that we have for things and the effort we put into the value of lost souls. What is the greatest priority? In that which is passing, transient, temporary? Or are we interested in that which is eternal? And not just eternal, but the safety of souls in eternity, in the presence of God. How can we prioritize tinkering and trimming the edges of the lawn and be uncaring about family and friends and neighbors and nations who are standing on the threshold of a Christless eternity. Should Jonah be angry because God saves people from destruction, albeit at this particular point an ungodly nation? Should Jonah be angry because God removed a bit of shade that Jonah did not have or asked for in the first place. Do do, do you see the the comparisons, the contrast that that is given us in this particular chapter? have no right to be angry with God. He had no right to be angry with God because he's showing grace to others, even if they're the worst of sinners. Well, I want to get to the specifics of values. And if you are angry about these things, then we get back to the issue of distorted, having a distorted value, a distorted view of things. And and there there are, in fact, three uh, distorted uh, uh, values that I I want to speak to. And, and, And the first one is a distorted view of the seriousness and ugliness of sin. You see, what we all need to recognize is that sin is such that it not only renders all people unfit for the kingdom of God, but sin can so often blind and even deceive professing believers about what is really important. Blind spots. Sin can blind us as to see what really is the most important in life. You see, there isn't one single person who deserves the grace of God more or less than another person. All of us, all of the world, every nation, wicked nations, if there are more righteous nations, every single person stands in need of the grace of God. And we need to see that salvation is a free gift from God 
to any that he chooses to give it to. In this particular instance, giving it to the people of, of Nineveh. Secondly, a distorted view of the width of God's love. The love of God is not more for one nation than the other. The love of God is not more or less for one denomination or another, or one church than another. And so we must be grateful to God for what he's doing in Timbuktu, or, or, or in South Korea, or, or in another church in Pretoria, whether it be uh, the Watercliffe Baptist Church, or the Moraklut, or the Calvary Baptist Church, or, the Pretoria, or, or any other church where God is at work, we ought to be grateful. The width of God's love extends way beyond the parameters that we would give it. And then also thirdly, a distorted view about God and people. This perhaps is the, the bigger challenge. God is not made or constructed in the image of man. We've got to turn that around. We've got to get it the right way around. It is man who is made in the image of God. Maybe let me put that more practically. It is man who is made for God and not God made for man. We so easily get that wrong. We think God is there for us exclusively. No, we are at the disposal of God. We are the ones dependent on God. We are the ones that ought to align with the will of God and the way of God. We are the ones that stand in need of the kindness and grace of God. And thankfully, thankfully, God pours his love out, his grace abundantly in the person and work of his son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus and so a lesson, I believe, in this last chapter of Jonah that we ought to be thinking about adjusting our sense of values. God is concerned, and I'm, we, we, we ought to be grateful that God is concerned about sinful and lost people. He really is. We have a missions conference coming up in just two weeks' time, and I want to remind you tonight, let's get involved Let's, let's hear what the message and the challenge of, of this missions conference is and, and, and get behind those uh, who, who have gone and, and those who will go and, and those of us who remain, who, who are involved in, in making disciples of people around us. Well, we don't know if Jonah learned the lesson. The book ends quite abruptly, I find. But I wonder... We shouldn't look down our noses at Jonah because so often we're probably no different to Jonah. And perhaps what we need to be thinking about in the conclusion of this message is consider the vines, inverted commas, consider the vines that we so came, that we care so much about, but don't care much about the lost souls of the people in Judea, Jerusalem. Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so there is the challenging question. What am I doing? What are you doing? What are we doing 
supporting and participating in the cause of Christ and his gospel, making disciples. It's not something you can be against. And perhaps the bigger lesson that we need to learn in our context, it's not something you can be neutral about. God has commanded, God has commanded that each believer make disciples of the nations. And so I'll leave that challenge with you tonight. I certainly am challenged and uh, perhaps a couple of questions I'll put up that we consider uh, just in closing. Uh, very important questions. Perhaps you could just take a, a photograph of that slide with your camera and uh, either with a group or even personally working through those questions, asking God to search you and search your own soul at this particular point in time. I'm going to pray and and then we will conclude this time together. Lord, I do pray that we would not merely be hearers of the word, but doers also. Pray for the missions conference that's coming up at Central uh, just in two weeks' time. And, And Lord, I do pray that it wouldn't just be another event that comes and goes, but that by your Spirit you would really touch the hearts of us, Lord, constraining us to be those ambassadors that you want us to be uh, spreading the good news of reconciliation between a holy God and sinful people. Bless us as a church. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for giving us what we do not deserve. But may we not take that for granted as we pray. And Lord, conscious of our constant and continued need of you. In Jesus' name. Amen.